Job chapter 10. I, I, I hate to use the word stumbled, but I did. Stumbled over this scripture. And like so many times, you read it and something just jumps out at you and it grabs hold of you and wrestles you down, or at least does me and this particular portion of scripture. Uh, some things that I had been feeling and uh, the Lord had been dealing with me concerning this particular verse just seemed to reach out and take hold of me and I want to share it with you and we'll use it as a launching pad tonight. Um, Job chapter 10 and verse number 17. This is Job speaking. And Job is, as you can only imagine, having a little difficulty understanding what all is going on in his life. He's lost so much, children, possessions, uh, even his wife had turned against him and uh, he has sores all over his body and then to top it all off, his friends come and they just sit and stare at him for several days and several days and uh, to make matters worse, when they did begin to speak, they began to in some way accuse Job of not being totally honest. And so Job's trying to filter all of this that's going on in his mind and he is wrestling with what has happened. And this is what he said in verse number 17. He said, Thou renewest thy witness against me, or uh, thy plague. You, you have renewed thy plague against me and increased thine indignation upon me. And this is the part that just reached out to my mind and got hold of me when he said, Changes and war are against me. Changes and war are against me. And with that, I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight from a subject that has been on my heart for several weeks. And I felt Lord led tonight to bring it to your attention. I want to talk to you about facing the challenges of change. Facing the challenges of change. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In Job's attempt to make sense of all that was happening in his life, he makes this statement that speaks so strongly to me in my heart tonight. And that is that changes are against me. I think most of you are aware and if you are not, I would have to ask where you've been living, but you are aware that we are living in a constantly changing world. Everywhere things are changing, and it seems that everything is changing. Life, to a great degree, has forced on us changes that have shaken us and at times they disturb and trouble us. I realize tonight that change is inevitable and 
is occurring more rapidly than at any other time in history. The changes around us are at times so overwhelming and mind-boggling that they disturb us. Just consider with me, if you will, for just a few moments, all of the changes, or let me rephrase that, just some of the changes that have happened in your lifetime. Go back in your mind to your childhood and now look at where we are today and consider with me the numerous changes that have taken place in our world. I am from a generation that knows something about no computers. As a matter of fact, I thought about it today. My brother James was taking a college course at Midwestern University, and he invited me to go with him to one of his classes one night, and it was a computer class. And I don't know if he remembers it, but he had a shoebox filled full of these cards, and they were in sequential order. And I don't know what kind of information they held, but I'm talking about a shoebox that was full of cards, and it probably had about this much information. This shoebox is full. That's about right, isn't it? And then to see now where we have devices that are so small that you hardly even realize that you have anything in your hand and yet they span the world. They bring information to us at record speed and they open a world to us that uh, sometimes we are not always prepared for. But Just think about the enormous changes that have happened over the last few years. I've tried to remember some statistics that I read about the increase of knowledge and how that uh, over a a several hundred year span, knowledge increased at, uh, at a very small increment. And then there was another span of time. It wasn't as long as that, but knowledge increased quite a bit more and then it comes to our modern time and I think it was like in a two-year window of time knowledge in the world had tripled or quadrupled in that short period of time we are living in an hour when change comes so quickly and it happens so suddenly that we don't even know how to respond to it We don't even know whether it's good or bad yet. We don't know whether it's helping us or hurting us. And there are times that change happens so quickly that it makes our head spin. And certainly there are many more changes that are to come. The question is, is change good or is change bad? And the answer to that will only lie in the tale of time. Many people, and I probably fit in one of the categories, but there are many people that do not like all of this change. And there are a lot of people that would like to freeze time and stop change. And they would like to preserve a certain period of life. They Perhaps it was a childhood memory or 
Perhaps it was a day gone by when we thought was better than today. And then there are others who would like to just go back as far back as we could go. And I'm not sure that that's really a a good way to live. And and I don't think we really want to live in a world where there is never any change. At the same time, there are some people that are eaten up with change. They love everything that changes. They want change. And they adopt change no matter what it is without question or without any kind of measure of concern. They just feel like change is good And so they adopt the philosophy that change must be better and change must be for the good. But it it is not always the case. And disturbing as change is, we understand tonight that it is an invaluable discipline of life. And change is not necessarily evil nor is it good. But Job, when he considered all that was happening in his life, He thought that change was against him. He thought that these things were his undoing and the undermining of his life. But was that really true? Was that really the case? And we read the end of the story and we find out that even though the changes in Job's life were difficult to understand, they did result in a double portion blessing that came to him so that God blessed the end of Job's life greater than the beginning and so all of those changes were not necessarily bad but this is what I have discovered about change that change will wake you up change will knock the sleep out of you change will cause you to quit being complacent and sit up and pay attention and change will also force you to think and to consider what is this about and where is it taking me? We come to realize that change is an inevitable fact of life and the mere process of life itself requires change. Growing up requires change. There are certain things about a baby that we are so impressed by but if that baby or that child or that person is still acting and living the same way 20 years from now, we view that as a sad, sad situation. And so there are many aspects uh, in which not changing is an unhealthy thing. And scripture even alludes to that fact. Psalms 55 and 19, God noted of them that there have been no changes in them, that they had become complacent and static and stagnant. And God implies there that that is not a good thing. In Jeremiah 48 and 11, he spoke a rebuke of Moab and the fact was that they had not been chained, that they had not been poured from vessel to vessel. Life makes plain to us that you and I cannot live without change and yet at the same time many are fearful of change and I am fearful of many of the changes that are happening in our world and there are others who will say that change is dangerous and I will agree with them in that that change many times is dangerous. So 
The question tonight is, that, and one of the most difficult challenges of life is kind of being able to keep our balance or our equilibrium in changing times and being able to keep our head in the midst of all that is going uh, on in the world in which we live. So how do we do that? How do we live in this changing world where every day we wake up, something new is on the horizon? How do we live in a world where every day our spiritual life is challenged by different uh, adjustments and changes that have been made in life? How do we keep our spiritual equilibrium in a world that is in such a flux and flow and change? How do we do that? How do we live in a rapidly changing world in which today something is and tomorrow it isn't and make change our friend and not our enemy? How do we deal with change in life is one of the most critical things that we will face and all of us have to face it. The world is changing. The morals of our world are changing. The facts of which our nation are based upon are changing whether we like it or not. The principles upon which this nation was established are being altered on a daily basis. And so we live in the midst of all of this change. How should you and I live and how should we respond to all that is happening? And that is why I've come to speak to you tonight. There are some things that God has been dealing with me about and I want to share them with you. And first and foremost, I must say to you in this changing world in which we now live and facing the difficulties of change and the disturbances of change, we must first of all realize that change like movement does not always mean progress. Did you hear me? Change like movement does not always mean progress. The Bible says that Israel went round and round the same mountain for over a year until God spoke to them and said, get away from this mountain. It's time for you to move. There had been a year of movement but they had made no progress. So I've come to tell you, Greater Life Church, there are a lot of changes that are taking place in our world, but they are not all progress. We are not becoming a better people because we embrace greater horizons today. And so we must be aware that change does not necessarily mean progress. No more than movement means progress. We have a lot of movement in our world. But I would dare tell you tonight that a lot of the movement has been backward, not forward. We are not better off today than we were yesterday spiritually and in the morals of our world. 
And so we must understand that when we look around, don't be bamboozled by movement and think that is improvement. Don't be overwhelmed by movement and think that you are getting better. Don't just think that change is the answer to all of our problems and that's going to make things better. Change is not progress. The question is, am I getting closer to my purpose? Is that change bringing me closer to my purpose? Is that change affecting my spiritual life? And if it is, how is it affecting my spiritual life? The next question I need to ask myself is what direction will this change lead me? And I must measure my life not by distance but by direction because a world can make a lot of changes and not be any better off than it was. And we're seeing that every day. You know what? We need to stop and ask ourselves every time we are dealing with something that brings change into our life, what does this tend toward? What, what does this lead me toward? How is this going to result in my own life? And is this going to bring me closer to my purpose and God's purpose in my life? So number one, realize that change like movement does not always mean progress. Number two, in the midst of all of the change, we must never lose sight of what doesn't change. God, Congress may change, presidents may change, money may change, economies may change, world leaders will change, and the weather will change, and I promise you that people will change, but God never changes. Let me come tonight to remind you of something simple but yet powerfully true. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Malachi 3 and 6 For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8, read it with me. Jesus Christ the same, yesterday and today and forever. James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I remind you tonight of what Revelation 1 and 8 said. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Listen to me, church. In a world that is in so much change, we don't know whether we're coming or going 
and we don't know as the country boy said, sick them from come here. I'm telling you tonight that you better never lose sight of what doesn't change and God does not change. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to clap your hands to the Lord and thank him for being an unchanging God. And since God does not change, his word and what he says never changes. Let me remind you again, Psalms 119 and 160. I love this verse. I'm telling you, I got so excited when I read it again today. I just couldn't wait to share it with you. Psalms 119 and 160. It says, thy word is true from the beginning. And every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Not just a few of them, not just the ones that we like, not just the ones that are of our flavor, but he said every one, every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words My words, W-O-R-D-S, my words shall not pass away. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 25, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. Isaiah 40 and 8. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So we have a never changing God and we have a word from God that has forever been settled. It doesn't need to be debated. It's not up for argument. It is not up for my or your perusal to whether we like it or not. It is forever established. And that word becomes the light that we look to and that word becomes the fountain from which we drink and it becomes the source of life in a changing world. Amen. Truth never changes. Somebody say that with me. Truth never changes. And John said, the truth shall make you free. Amen. So listen to me, church. What God calls sin, we better not change our attitude toward. I don't care how our world changes. I don't care what the Supreme Court passes. I don't care what the federal judges decide. I don't care what Congress or our president or anybody else says. God's word and God's principle is true. And what God calls sin, you and I better not change our attitude about. Amen. What God called unclean, you better not call clean. Amen. And this is one I want to stick with for a little while What God called an abomination, you better not change your attitude toward. The word abomination means what is disgusting to God. Go get your Bible out and read the things that are called an abomination to God. Now, I don't care what our government says. I don't care what cultural 
more say, I don't care what conventional wisdom said, I don't care what the latest news person said, the Bible says that for a man to lie with a man or a woman to lie with a woman is an abomination to God. It is something that disgusts God. It is against the moral principles of his law and it will never be right. I don't care who says, I don't care what they say, it will never be right in the sight of God. Does that mean I hate the homosexual? Absolutely not. But I am not going to stand here and tell you that it's okay, that we need to turn our head and act like it's not happening. The truth is that has been and it will be and it always will be an abomination to God. It's disgusting to God. Now I know I'm not very popular I might be okay with you, but there's not very many people. There's absolutely very few churches that would let me preach that in their congregation. But you know what? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what churches say either. The word is settled. And the word said that for a man to lie with a man or a woman with a woman is against the, the, the call of nature. And it says it is an abomination. Leviticus 18.22. Go read it yourself. And there's more references than just that. Not only that, but Deuteronomy 22 and 5 says that it is an abomination for a man to wear that which pertaineth to a woman or that a woman wear that which pertaineth to a man. Now that's even less popular in our culture. But I want to ask you tonight, what does the word pertaineth mean? Now I didn't put that in there. But God said there are some things that I want separated and I don't want those lines to ever be blurred. I want a woman to be a woman and I want a woman to dress and act like a woman and I want a man to be a man and I want him to dress and act like a man and it doesn't matter what the social morals of the world say. It doesn't matter what Paris comes out with. It doesn't matter what the fashion people have to say. God said this is my word and this is my law and this is my principle. A woman should dress and act like a woman and a man should dress and act like a man and if they don't the Bible said that is an abomination unto God. That makes God sick. It's disgusting. So I know that's not popular and you don't like to hear that but I've come to remind Greater Life Church that there needs to be a line that separates and there needs to be a difference in the way we dress and act and the way we present ourselves and I don't care the, the world in which we live wants to mix the genders and they want to make it new, neutral but according to the word of God that's never been his plan. He wants us to be what he designed us to be. Amen. I do not believe that a woman or a man who dresses ungodly that exposes themselves and has no principles of righteousness, you're going to have a hard time explaining to God how he could overlook what he said in his word from the beginning that there should be a difference and there should be a mark in your life that separates you and that calls you out as being unique. God call people. 
Amen. Praise God. Amen. He said it's abomination. Everybody say an abomination. I'm going to tell you what's going to get a whole lot of folks. This one right here. Deuteronomy chapter 25, 14 through 16. God said divers weights and divers measures are an abomination to God. You know what that means? That means that you weigh somebody by one scale and you weigh somebody else by another scale. That when the people you like come around, you get out one set of measure and you measure them by that. But when somebody comes that you don't like, you get out another set of measures and you measure their life. God said, I hate that. That's disgusting to me. That's hypocrisy. And so when you and I come bring that principle into this 21st century or beyond wherever we are right now. We're somewhere beyond the 21st century. I don't even know where, what century we're actually living in right now. But God's principle is that you should have a fair way of dealing with people and there should be a fair way in which you relate with people. And if you don't do that, if there is hypocrisy in your life, if you make allowances for some and you don't for others, God said that is disgusting to me. Amen. Praise God. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. And these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. What makes God sick? What is disgusting to God? Number one, a proud look. For any of us to think that we're better than somebody else, whether it be by pride of race or, or creed or money or whatever, proud look. Number two, a lying tongue. Mm. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that deviseth Wicked imaginations. Number six. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. I'm talking about an abomination. A false witness that speaketh lies. Oh, and get this one. And he that soweth discord among bread. God said that is an abomination to me. That's disgusting to me. Amen. God said, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imagination, feet that be swift to running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among. What are you trying to say, brother? I'm trying to say this. That in a world that is changing by the millisecond, you better keep your eyes fixed on what doesn't change, and that's God and His Word. Amen. Daniel chapter 12, this is the one that got me the most. Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, I'm not an end-time scholar, but Daniel 
was writing about the end time. And most, most Bible scholars that know and, and study end time prophecy and eschatology, they are mostly in agreement that this particular portion of scripture is speaking about a time when the temple has been reestablished in Jerusalem and there are sacrifices that are being offered, but it is also a time when the Antichrist, who is the peacemaker at that time, is embraced by the entire religious world and he is ushered into the temple and he is invited to come in and participate in the worship of these people. And when he is invited in, there comes a point in time when he reveals himself to be what he is, the Antichrist. And he offers, and, and most that I've read and asked about, most of them agree that the abomination that maketh that what is it that is so disgusting to God? What is it that is so disgusting to God that it makes desolate, that it completely destroys everything that's good? And most Bible scholars believe that that means that it will be a time when the Antichrist will then go into the temple and on that altar he will offer a pig, swine, which was contrary to the Jewish law. And this is what it represents. What is the abomination that maketh desolate? It is offering a pig on the altar in the temple. Basically, this is what it represents. It is doing away with a system of sacrifices that meant salvation to Israel. It was, it, it was doing away with the system of sacrifices that had saved Israel. The offering of the blood sacrifice. It was in fact making fun of the law that God had established and it was ridiculing and say, oh, that's not necessary anymore. We, we don't do that any longer. That, we, that's not needed. This is a better way. Now, does that sound familiar? I mean, we don't even know who the Antichrist is yet and that kind of spirit is already rampant in the religious world that we have to open our doors and we have to widen our horizon and we must accept everybody and we can't offend anyone. And basically what the religious world is doing is doing away with the system of sacrifices that have brought us salvation. What I've come to tell you tonight, church, is that what it took to save a man, it still takes to save a man and that is the blood of a lamb, not the blood of a pig, not the blood of a man, but the blood of a lamb. The lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That's the only thing that saves us. And the only thing that washes away our sin. And that will never change. I don't care if the world church accepts that. And I don't care if the Antichrist offers that sacrifice. God said that is an abomination that begins desolation. You hear me tonight, church. If there's ever a time that we need to preach and we need to stand up and tell people what it takes to be saved, 
We need to remind them that it still takes blood, water, and spirit, that they must be born again of water and of spirit. That does not change, and it will never, never change. Amen. Praise God. Church, we've got to be loyal to truth, and I'm going to tell you that the closer we get to the end of time, the more difficult that challenge is going to be because the more loyal you are to truth, the more it's going to make you stand out from the world. Amen. Truth is your friend, not your enemy. Embrace it. Believe it. Trust it. Because the truth is the only thing that will make you free. It will set you free. It will deliver you And the abomination of abominations is when we take the blood out of the church and we take the blood out of the song and we take the blood out of our preaching. Amen. You'd be surprised at how many churches in this city that you will never hear anything about the blood of Jesus Christ mentioned from the pulpit. Amen. Amen. The blood has not lost its power. Amen. And it still takes that blood sacrifice. It still takes that washing away of sins to redeem us. Amen. So I'm closing. No matter what happens, no matter the changes that come, we must always be a Christian. And that simply means what would Jesus do? Amen. Everybody ask yourself that. What would Jesus do? Or would I do this if Jesus was with me? Would I say that? The bottom line of it all is that I must must let my life be governed by purpose, not by the processes of life. And the processes of life involve a lot of change. And this is what I've come to tell you. You have to handle change, not let change handle you. And in the changing world, the only way you're going to face the times in which we live and stay true is to remember that not all change is progress. So don't be bamboozled or hoodwinked or taken in by something that's shown to be new and improved. I'm here to tell you there's some old-fashioned things that still work. (laughs) Amen. And in a changing world, we must never lose sight of the unchanging, the God who never changes, and the word that has forever been settled. Amen. And love that and live that. And if we will, there is no change that will come in this world that will catch us off guard and knock us off our feet. Amen. Let's stand.